0: Now, the Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070.
1: Hi there, thanks for tuning in. You're listening to the Whole Home Show and I'm Tony Joe. Our show is brought to you in part by Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Services Modern Mortgage Group, Lori Zorn, insurance manager for Island Savings, and Carrie Smith, home inspector with Inspect Tech. If you need the opinion from experts locally here, in the areas of insurance, mortgages or building inspections, Denise Laurie and Carrie are great people to talk with. To locate them, just visit the 10 uh, sorry, the Cfax 1070 website, look under shows. There you'll find us, the Whole Home Show with me, Tony Joe, and the contact information is there or you can always locate me online by email, uh, my website, social media or anywhere else. Uh, I know that listeners do reach out to me because, of course, I do get messages on a regular basis. So thanks very much for doing so. Uh, What's my background as the host for you in the next hour? I am a locally born and raised Victorian. I've been selling homes here for 27 years. I've overseen over 2,500 transactions locally, so I've seen almost every situation you can imagine. Call me if you need a seasoned professional for your real estate needs. Today's guest is John Adams, a local historian here in Greater Victoria. Every neighborhood has, oh, sorry, every neighborhood and every house has a story. Uh, Going way back to the old days, as it were. And I'm looking forward to having a conversation with John a little bit about Victoria in ways that we don't recognize because uh, things change over time. So, John Adams is our guest. Let's start our show with our weekly listener question. If you have a question or curiosity about real estate, call us on our hotline. The number is 250 414 6540. That's 250-414-6540. Or find us online, again, cfax1070.com, and we'll discuss it on the air. I received a phone message this week from Loretta. She has an estate property to sell. She's wondering if she should remove the furnishings or attempt to stage it. And she also wants to know if she should uh, spend money on staging. This is a—actually, I've been getting this question a lot recently, so— Presumably, uh, a family member has passed away. Uh, she has; uh, She's the executor, I'm guessing, here, and uh, has to dispose of not only the uh, property itself, but the items that are in it as well, too. And a question is, does it make sense to leave, for instance, the large pieces of furniture in the suite when the property is being sold? My answer to that question is yes. And here's the thing. People, buyers in particular... They often say to us, you know, we can get a good sense of the size of rooms. We can imagine what our furniture would look like in the room. Uh, That is the general sentiment. But we do find that typically uh, buyers don't have that level of creativity uh, that they think that they do. So consequently, it is best to leave the main pieces of furniture in the property uh, in order to demonstrate the configuration of the room or the size of the room. And uh, the main pieces I mean are the living room furniture, of course, sofa, love seat uh, any chairs, coffee table. Uh, the dining room suites are important, I feel, to be left in a property because again, it gives an idea of the sense of size. Uh, Things like the uh, main pieces of a bedroom suite, probably an idea too, but you're going to want to start downsizing or packing away many of the personal items. So the trinkets, uh, if there's uh, a lot of china or glassware in the hutch, now is the time for you to pack them away uh, or find new homes for them. Sometimes those are the things that can be distracting when people are looking at properties, but the main furniture items are pieces that you're going to want to keep there. Should you spend money on staging? Well, again, it really depends. We've had a home stagers on the show in past, and there's no question that when a property is correctly staged, it presents itself in its best light. I will admit that the market that we've had in the past couple of years has been strong enough where with a low inventory level, sometimes going all out on staging is not necessary but it really depends on what kind of property you have and if staging with a specific type of decor makes a difference at all. The biggest thing is you're going to need to balance the cost versus possible return, and that's what we as your real estate experts are here to do. Thanks for your question, Loretta. Again, if you have a question that you would like me to pose on the air here on our show, please call 250-414-6540 or visit the cfax1070.com website. By the way, if you are a podcast listener, you can always find us on iTunes or Google Play. Just look for us, The Whole Home Show with me, Tony Joe. And now it's time for our weekly real estate tip. Uh, Today... What we've been doing, by the way, is our show sponsors have been providing you, the listener, with a tip regarding real estate on our show every week. Uh, Today, it's my turn. So the Prime Real Estate team is my real estate team. We've been serving Victoria since 1991. And for today's real estate tip, I have on the air my associate partner and buyer specialist, Angie Hill. Hey, Angie.
2: Hi, Tony.
1: Okay, so I know you're busy because I know your schedule and your job is to go out there and show people properties. You have uh, clients from out of town today who are looking to buy here in Greater Victoria. Um, The question that I wanted to cover with you today is one that you and I get quite often, and that is new development. So pre-sales, when you see these uh, buildings that are uh, being promoted or sold, we occasionally get clients that wonder, should they call us? Should they call the real estate agent uh, or just simply go into the show suite and deal with the developer directly? What's your take on that?
2: That's a great question, and we do get it often. Um, You know, going into a show suite is always um, fascinating because there's so much detail, so much information. But the person there is representing the developer so, one should go in with representation. One should always go in um, with uh, that in mind mm-hmm. because the Show Suite sales team are very informative, but they are working for the developer. And I always ask who's working for you as the buyer?
1: Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, one of the things that often confuse people is if there isn't an agent or or representative like you, uh, people get inundated or confused with the paperwork. I mean, it's a lot of legalese, right?
2: Exactly. And every contract is a little different. And developers' disclosures alone... Are many pages, hundreds, in fact. So to have someone to sit down with you, go over it with you, answer any questions—that is not working for the developer. And to really, you know, iron out what all those details mean—is is, are very important.
1: Yeah, and here's the thing: because you have caught things in contracts or in agreements uh, that had that were that had the necessity to be changed as a result of you looking after your client
2: correct you know a lot of the clauses are for the benefit sole benefit as a developer and you know and and sometimes it is a win-win or it's just a part of adding a little bit extra to that one clause to protect both sides
1: Mm -hmm. and you know a big question that people have too is why should i introduce my realtor because hopefully i can get the unit for cheaper going to the developer directly
2: right uh, never the case, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they're happy to pay uh, the cooperating commission. Um, they are, Most developers work well with realtors in paying their commission. Um, that's not been a, an issue in the developers in Victoria. They're all very um, welcoming.
1: Yeah, because they know that they need the real estate community to help them sell their properties. Exactly. Yeah, and the other thing, too, is uh, the developers are selling the units at a specific price because they, they won't sell it for cheaper to a buyer going directly because to sell a unit cheaper sets a precedence for future sales in the development, right?
2: That's right. You know, the development is its own precedent. Is What is the last sale? Mm-hmm. And you go off that. Yeah. Not comparables in a totally different uh, building, and some people don't understand that either.
1: Right? Yeah. So, if I'm hearing you right, the uh, the tip of the day here is: if you're thinking of buying new construction at a development, call your real estate agent for representation. It's not going to cost you more. It's good to have somebody in your court.
2: Exactly. It's always good to have somebody thinking for your best interest, not the best interest of the developer.
1: Yeah, and especially nowadays, too, our laws are changing, so listing agents cannot uh, uh, represent buyers as well, too, so they need a buyer specialist like you. Uh, Angie, if people need to reach you, what's the best number?
2: Um, through our office is great. Um, our Oak Bay office number is 250-370-7788.
1: Yeah, and you can reach Angie on email as well, too. It's Angie at... PrimeTeam.ca. Thanks for joining us, Ange.
2: Thanks, Tony.
1: Okay. We're yeah. going to take a quick break here. When we come back, a conversation with John Adams back in just a moment.
0: You're listening to the whole home show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070.
1: Thanks for joining us. This is the Whole Home Show and I'm Tony Joe. We have a guest in the studio right now that I'm very much looking forward to having a conversation with and I think you're going to get a lot out of this as well too. I'd like to introduce him for you. After a career in the museums and history industry, John decided to bring his passion for sharing Victoria's stories to life. His vision was to create a unique, engaging experience of Victoria's rich history by sharing true stories on the streets, in the actual locations where history happened. Discover the Past and Ghostly Walks were born from that vision. Today, Discover the Past continues to be run by John Adams along with his son Chris, a fellow storyteller weaned on the ghost tales in the United Kingdom. Together, along with their exceptional team of guides, John and Chris lead thousands of people through the streets of Victoria each year using their extensive research and passion for storytelling to bring history to life. And I have to say, as someone who has gone on one of these tours, they I, I love it. They are so uh, informational. Anyone who would like to learn more about Victoria needs to consider visiting John and discover the past. Thanks for coming, John Adams. This, you are no stranger to the studio here. Uh, I know that you've been here many times before. That's right. Over the past many, many years, I'm often in the uh, the CFX uh,
0: studios. It's nice to be here again.
1: Yeah, so the listeners know who you are. So, John, um, God, there's so many things to talk about. Uh, I want to start uh, talking about what you have in front of you right now, which is a newspaper from what year? Well, I've got two pages from 1912.
0: 1912. <laughs> and when you uh, when you asked me to come uh-huh. and to talk about some houses and days gone by, I thought, well, I've got some things tucked away that I had not really used before. Okay. And uh, The Colonist. Years ago, somebody gave me a couple of old volumes of so, The Colonist. So that is The Colonist? This is The Colonist. Yeah. Uh, but The Times as well is very, very useful. Of course, The Colonist is available online.
1: Uh, even these um, uh, archival—that's right. Oh
0: wow! Okay. The BritishColonist.ca. Oh, okay. Have a great time from 1858 to 1950, and of course, many people are looking for news items, but uh, the ads—and that's what I've got today—the ads, I especially see them. Uh, the real estate ads, are
1: amazing. Yep. from a hundred years ago. Okay, so read us some. Tell us about what. Uh, tell us about these fancy properties from 1912. Well, first of all, a bit of background. Uh, that was
0: the boom time. Um, I don't think, well, we've got a big boom right now, but it's nothing like it was back in 1908 to 1912, 1913. Uh, The newspapers were filled page after page, huge display ads and small ones as well. Um, Here's one, 1912, Gorge View Park, the scenic subdivision. That's the area around Gorge Road West and Tillicum, and this is always the... The, the tricky part to figure out how the prices vary compared to today, but prices now from $750 to $950 <laughs> oh, oh. per lot. Okay, this is for the land. That's for the land only. No No house on
1: it. $750 per lot. Yeah. Now,
0: of course, uh, if you uh, want to look on the other side of the page, here's a house... Sixteen Twenty Two Fell Street. So that's right. in the area known as South Jubilee, just off, just off Oak Bay Avenue. Just yeah, yeah. So road. it's it's
1: that's the area where uh, Fairfield, Fernwood, Oak Bay, and Jubilee all kind of glom together. That's right. It's in the city of Victoria, but near the Oak Bay border.
0: Yeah. So Sixteen Twenty Two Fell Street. It's a beautiful house. There's a big stone wall on the outside. There are stone pillars. It's a gorgeous place. And I hate to think what it's worth today, but in nineteen twelve, price. on
1: terms to suit. My goodness. So actually, when we think about it, $7,000 was a lot of money uh, back in 19, 1912, I'm going to say. It probably was. Uh, difficult to say how much
0: people were earning, but 20 yeah. cents an hour was a good wage at that time. Wow. Uh, so uh, you have to work a lot of hours to, to work up $7,000. No kidding. And probably a house is worth more today um, yeah. if you calculate the uh, the minimum wage, Yeah. but um, yeah, it well, still I'll tell a lot you, of money.
1: Well, I'll ha- because there's not a lot of specifics in the ad there, um, but knowing the neighborhood there, it was wouldn't take much for that property to be a million dollars today. Mm -hmm. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So, you know, a comment that you made at the start here was the fact that it was a boom time in 1912. Uh, We as real estate agents see this because quite often when we're down at City Hall pulling up um, permits and information for older homes, they all seem to be that sort of 1911, 1912. So clearly there was a building boom at that time. That's right. If any of your listeners live in an old house, there's a really good chance that that house was built
0: sometime just before 1912 uh, because there was a huge building boom, and people went crazy.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, many of these houses were being built on spec uh, by developers. Many of them were being built to rent, which is something we don't see today. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so in South Oak Bay, in the Oak Bay uh uh, border area, in Victoria, in Vic West, in James Bay, in many parts of Fernwood, South Saanich, Esquimalt, View Royal, there are huge numbers of streets with houses dating from around 1908 to 1912. Yeah. And then the bubble burst. In yeah. 1913, there was a huge economic slump. And then, of course, that was overshadowed by World War One that soon followed. But in 1913, the housing bubble burst, and many of these houses sat empty for years. Yeah. And the prices didn't go up. If you're looking through the uh, the uh, the uh, the uh, the information for current buyers, and they're interested in finding out how much the house was worth a long time ago, um, you could buy a good house, five thousand bucks, seven thousand five hundred would be a lovely house. Yeah. In 1910, 1912, those prices were almost the same. In the late 1950s, wow! They, so there they was they started to go up after that, but there was 30 a,
1: years of stagnation. That's right. Yeah, interesting. Um, When we think now about Victoria, and uh, sure, there was a building boom, uh, as you're saying, in 1912. It was a very different time as far as uh, accessibility is concerned because, of course, we enjoy now BC ferries, the seaplanes, helijet, ways to get on and off the island. I mean, obviously, they didn't exist back then. That's right. It was was not easy to get here. Uh,
0: The CPR ferries, the princess boats, as they were called, directly from downtown Vancouver, or downtown Seattle, or even up as far as Alaska, they all converged on Victoria's Inner Harbor in the building now called the Steamship Terminal. And that was the front door. And the boats were not regular. You could fit a few cars on those boats, but basically if you came here, you were here for a while. You didn't just pop over for the day. And of course, although people could fly, and there were
1: seaplanes, uh, most people didn't do that until many, many years later. Yeah. Now, one of the biggest draws and appeals about people coming to Victoria was the fact that this has been the provincial capital for some time, right? Yes, and that was a major benefit. Today,
0: the largest number of people in Victoria who work, work for the provincial government. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't surprise us because we certainly are the capital and we know how extensive the civil service is today. It's followed, by the way, by the federal government employees, largely through people working for the Navy, but back in the early days, back in the period up until 1930s and 40s, the provincial government was a good employer, but it didn't pay all that well, oh. and we had lots of industry here. Yeah. And so probably there were more people working for in industries, the 13 sawmills, the shipyards, the paint factories, and all of these industries that are long gone that yeah. were located around Victoria Harbour and Esquimalt Harbour, those were good-paying jobs. And those jobs began to disappear by the mid-20th century. They're completely gone now. Yeah. And tourism took over. But today, of course, the provincial government really does fill in the gap. But back in the early days, it helped. But the provincial
1: civil servants were generally not well off. Yeah. You know, it's, that's a great point, talking about the industry that Victoria used to have, because we've, had, we've mentioned on this show many times before that Victoria is interesting, even Vancouver as well, too, because nothing comes from here. Like we, we don't really produce a lot yet. I remember uh, the um, uh, down at oh it's escaping me right now. Uh, the sawmill that was at the end of uh, Finlayson um, mm-hmm. Selkirk Waterway when I was a kid was there and it's not there anymore. That's right. Probably when you were a kid, it was called BC Forest Products. Yeah.
0: They churned out uh, presto logs and plywood. Uh Uh, Later, it was purchased by Fletcher Challenge. It operated until the 1980s. Yeah. And some people might remember the big log booms that came into the harbour until then. That was the last of the major sawmills, Uh, one of about 13 located at the upper end of Victoria Harbour, big ones and small ones, Um, a couple on Esquimalt Harbour as well, at Plumper Bay, for example, and, of course, lots out in Souk and beyond. Those mills down here at this end of the island don't exist anymore. Um, one of the reasons is there was overcutting of timber, but also pollution control uh, made it very difficult for some of those mills to operate. But just a, a personal anecdote, my family moved here from Ontario in 1960. Yeah. So a lot of my memories uh, really come from that time, frozen in time. And at that time, looking up the north end of the harbour, often you couldn't see a thing because it was just a pother of smoke Wow. And in the winter, when it gets a little foggier, that smoke mixed with the, uh, the fog, and we had smog. We don't get smog these days. Yeah.
1: The no, air we is much cleaner. would think about
0: that here in Victoria. No, we think of it as a very clean, pristine place, Maybe but it was very gritty, very smoky.
1: Yeah. Well, listen, hold that thought, because we need to take a break right now. Uh, we're here with John Adams from Discover the Past, talking about Victoria in 1960 and also as far back as 1912. We're going to take a break. be back in just a moment.
0: Now, the Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070.
1: Hi there, thanks for coming back. You're listening to the Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Our show is brought to you in part by Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Services Modern Mortgage Group, Lori Zorn, insurance manager for Island Savings, and Carrie Smith, home inspector with Inspect Tech. We are talking about Victoria frozen in time with John Adams from Discover the Past. So, John, you were just talking about 1960, your experiences of coming here to Victoria and your memories from that time. So tell us about 1960, 1960s.
0: Well, looking back on it, it was really a, a great time. I was 11 years old at that time, and we'd taken the train, the Canadian Pacific, across the country. We hopped on the Princess Marguerite in downtown Vancouver.
1: Uh, that song for the Princess Marguerite still rings in my yeah. head. Oh, yeah, commercial. it was one
0: of the ways to get here, and <laughs> yep. we steamed into the harbour. Past the shipyards, past the grain elevator, past the Bapco paint factory, past which is that is that Songhees now, or uh, no? That's the other side. That's the inn at Laurel Point. Okay. Yes. And lots of other Canadian Pacific ships, all belching out smoke, getting ready to head off to Vancouver, Seattle, Alaska, and the area that is now the Songhees was the Sydney Roofing Felt Factory. There was a huge water tower on stilts. Yep. There were. Railway cars filled with oil and other things, huge oil tanks, yes. and a couple of shipyards. Up the harbor, as we talked about before, sawmills and more shipyards. It was a
1: busy place. So this is the reason why you were saying, looking up the um, uh, the waterway there, you'd see smoke and smog and all of these things, right? That's right. And people didn't want to live near
0: the industry. And some of the areas near the industry, James Bay, for example, had become very run down. Mm-hmm. And my father worked for a big company, and he moved here, and the man that he was replacing said, Frank, I'm going to tell you something about this. If you're looking for a place to live, and he pulled out a map, and he drew a big circle around James Bay and Vic West. And he said, don't even think about living in these neighborhoods. Why? Well, the prices were low, the houses were old and not in great shape, industry all around... Well, of course, my father paid attention, and we ended up living in Fairfield. Yeah. Where do I live now? James Bay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> because
0: it's a great spot to live. The industry is gone, and of course, the houses are much more valuable. Yeah,
1: you know, this is something that people very often uh, do not know, is the fact that there was a point in time where James Bay was deemed to be not an attractive location. Oh, it was a rough place. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah Look at but, it now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. no, you many people can't afford to live there. Yeah.
0: But it, it, things do change a lot. Now, James Bay was probably a very nice place
1: to live back in those days. Yeah. But uh, many people didn't think so. Yeah, imagine that. And uh, at that time as well, too, the growth area in Victoria right now, of course, is in the West Shore. So Langford, Colwood, um, Michosin and that, that was considered so far away in those days, right? That's right. There was no bus service. In 1970,
0: I got a job out at Fort Rod Hill, the National Historic Site. They were looking for guides. I thought I was in heaven. Yeah. I had a bicycle. I didn't have a car and there was no, no bus trail. service. And there's no trail, right? No trail, yeah. no bus service okay. at all. And so it was a long trek out there. So I moved out there yeah. at that time and it was a long way to go. Now, of course, if people don't even, well, if they get stuck in the Colwood Crawl, it's a different matter. Yeah, But um, it was a long way out, but certainly not today.
1: Oh, goodness. So uh, going back, as, as we go back thinking about the history of Victoria, uh you know, you are somebody, as an example, of um, an out-of-towner coming to Victoria. You mentioned that you're from Ontario, and you told a great story about coming over by rail and then the Princess Marguerite and everything. Um, what, see, I, this is all foreign to me because I'm a born and raised Victorian. I'm from here. I don't really know anything else, and, and uh, I feel that we locals sometimes take it for granted. What did people see when they came to Victoria as far as opportunity was concerned?
0: Well, of course, it, the adage is still there, but it's not really true these days that Victoria was a place for the newly wed and the <laughs> newly dead. Yeah. So you grew up here, you might come here on your honeymoon, um, you might move away, and then you might come back to retire. In between, it was not so good. And I moved away, most of my friends moved away. Some came back, some didn't. Mm-hmm. But in, in fact, um, that has totally changed now in Victoria because... Uh, we have so many new industries. The, the the heavy industry, the smoky industries are gone.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: The government, the federal and provincial governments, are big employers. Tourism yeah. uh, filled in the gaps. Now, tourism jobs are seasonal and they don't pay all that well in many cases. But something recently has happened, the IT sector. Yeah, the so tech sector. That, the tech sector. So software development, uh, video games, all that sort of stuff. There are hundreds of shops, big and small, tucked into Old Town and other places all around Victoria. Yeah.
1: And that is now the third largest uh, employer in the city, yeah, the tech and, sector. And so, and one of the things that uh, people should really grasp and understand is the fact that the tech sector, based on... Um, based on their industry, they could actually be anywhere they choose to be. They can
0: right. be anywhere they choose. And of course, some of them want to be in a big city. Some yeah. of them want to be in Silicon Valley. But if you look at the profile of, of the people that are involved, many of them are younger. Mm-hmm. Um, and many of them want to locate to a place like Victoria because they want to get out of the rat race. At lunchtime, they can hop across and get in a kayak and go for a half-hour paddle. Yeah. Uh, they can get in their car and go out into the Souk Hills and hike for, for a day if they want to. In many places, you can't do that. And the air is clean, there are lots of interesting coffee shops and bars and restaurants, and that's one of the reasons why the area around Bastion Square, for example, downtown, and many parts of Old Town are really popular um, as places for people to work. But also, increasingly, more and more people want to locate in those areas downtown to live in because it's kind of a a vibrant place, and the whole idea that Victoria is a place for old people and the downtown being deserted at night? No, no. Go down there and it's a
1: very lively place. Yeah. You know, in my time in the real estate business here, 27 years, there has, if I was to take a number, there's probably about 5,000 residents residences in the downtown core that did not exist 20 years ago uh and many of the buildings uh, have no parking you know they're re- they're uh, redone old character or commercial buildings that have no parking at all but the benefit is the walkability so to be able to live and 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 walk and go anywhere in downtown victoria it, it's it's just the the vibe here is fantastic it is and a lot of people who don't
0: go downtown perhaps have missed that but it's attracting a huge number of people and and people who come to visit like to see it uh people who work downtown like to play downtown as well yeah and the uh, the numbers of places that ha- that have been built in the past five years ten years um is phenomenal and they they go down there they're re- they're converting old hotels yeah. old office buildings um as we speak and of course, one of the things that is the incentive for this is the city of Victoria wants these old buildings, the heritage buildings, which people love to see. They don't want them to fall down. Mm-hmm. And so they'll give give the owners a 10-year tax holiday yeah. if they fix up the buildings, seismically improve them so they're not going to fall down,
1: and create new residential space, either to sell or to rent upstairs. Yeah. And it's brilliant that our little town has that sort of... Uh, uh, regular theme because we've been to so many other towns and cities where the habit is to take down old buildings and build new things that, uh, that have no character that, that, um, uh, end up being dated quite, uh, quite quickly in the area. And, and, uh, it makes Victoria to some degree timeless, right? It does. And there's a good reason why
0: Victoria does have that, um, large number of old buildings. Now we were the first major city in BC. Dating back to the 1840s, the First Nations were here, of course, for thousands of years. And then things changed very quickly with the coming of the Hudson's Bay Company, the Gold Rush of 1858. We were the big town until Vancouver began to grow in 1886. <laughs> yeah. And eventually, by 1898, it surpassed us. And as more investment was going to Vancouver, there was little investment in Victoria. Yeah. And with all the economic slumps that took place, downtown Victoria just became a very run-down place. Yeah. That's what it was like when I was a kid, nineteen early 1960s. Yeah. And then just around the time that Victoria began to prosper, people became interested in heritage buildings. Mm-hmm. The whole phenomenon of heritage became uh, much more prevalent in the East, Eastern Canada, the Eastern States. It caught on here in the early 60s. And then by the 1970s, it took hold with a vengeance. Yeah. And suddenly people realized, look, we have all these old buildings. Let's not tear them down. That yes. was seen as progress up until then. No, let's keep them. And we'll... Uh, We'll fix up the old buildings and we'll create a vibrant downtown with heritage buildings and new buildings can be built in vacant spaces.
1: We're here with John Adams from Discover the Past talking about Victoria's history and how things have changed. I mean, even I remember, we've been talking about Bastion Square a little bit here. I remember as a kid, actually, it was a very different place than it is right now. So, Bastion Square. Um several of the buildings were totally empty when yeah, I was a kid. for sure. Well, listen, we have to take a quick little break right now. When we come back, we'll be continuing our conversation with John Adams back in just a moment.
0: This is the whole home show with Tony Joe on Cfax Ten seventy.
1: Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the whole home show, and I'm Tony Joe. We're talking about the past today. Discover the past with John Adams. John, thanks again for coming. It's my pleasure, Tony. Uh, John, you uh, again had the old newspaper. You have the old newspaper sitting right in front of you right now. You had mentioned to our listeners before that they can find this online, right? It's the colonist.CA. That's correct. It, it was uh, compiled jointly by the University of Victoria and
0: the colonist itself, the Times Colonist. Correct. As It started as a, a big project for the 150th anniversary of the, of the Times Colonist uh, from 1858 to 19
1: to 2008. And they celebrated and they've now added more and more online. Wow. Wow. 2008. A lot of things happened in 2008. Is this also the year that uh, we did the 150 years in Golden Mountain, the the Chinese community That's here? That's correct. So 1858 yeah. was kind of a pivotal year because
0: suddenly, well, twenty to 30,000 people, nobody knows for sure, arrived in Victoria to buy supplies and head across to the gold fields because gold had been found on the Fraser River and eventually the miners moved up the river and into all the tributaries up to the Caribou and Barkerville. But Victoria was the staging point. This was the jumping-off point for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And so the old Hudson's Bay Company fort, wooden walls and log buildings, dismantled by 1864. The land was extremely valuable. There was a huge escalation in prices. And Boomtown, it was a Boomtown. It looked like a Wild West town. The old wooden buildings, eventually replaced by the brick buildings that we know in Old
1: Town, So, in other words, the boom that we have right now in real estate is circa 2017-18. This is not the first time that there's been a boom here in Greater Victoria. Victoria is a city of boom and bust. So, big gold rush 1858. By 1864, there was a
0: huge slump. Mm. We didn't get out of that slump for a while. And there were ups and downs. Joining Canada in 1871 helped a little bit. But then there was a big continent-wide depression starting about 1873-1873. We got out of that eventually. There was another huge slump in the early 1890s, Uh, 1907, 1908, to 1913, another big uh, burst of activity, and then another slump. So up and down, and during the boom times... People bought land, built houses and, and commercial buildings, yeah. and
1: then they held those things and often lost money in between. Yeah, Actually, it's interesting because I've seen graphs talking about property values. I've seen graphs in Victoria. The Real Estate Board, of course, compiles a lot of data. Uh, there is a graph that, that we um, uh, post almost every month that shows values from 1967 to today. And it has been generally a straight line upwards, with the exception of 1982, of course. That was a, uh, a tough time in the stock markets and everything. Uh, but I've also seen graphs from the year 1900 to today, and it's interesting. You had mentioned that time uh, around 19, uh, the, the teens, 1913 thereabouts, where there was a little bit of flatness. But at the end of the day, Victoria always seems to be one of these towns that um, it's desirable. It has always drawn people here, it seems, uh, you know, based on the stories you're telling us here right now. And consequently, people do find comfort in the fact that it's a good investment, right, it is. over time. It, sure, if, if you're looking at it in those terms. But the, the climate, I, I, I'm sure, is
0: is really part of that. The climate here, as we all know, yeah. um, is is lovely. It's well, not, you escaped Ontario. Yeah, so uh, it's <laughs> right? not too cold in the winter. It's yeah. not too hot in the summer. Um and we have all the beautiful um, natural environment around us, and, and that has attracted people for a long time. So the, the, that, that's why the Songhees were here. There was abundant fish and clams and everything else. And, well, they, they could walk around in the winter, and they didn't need to freeze. Yeah. Um, came along the Hudson's Bay Company. Why did they choose this area? They could have was, picked anywhere. It was a good harbor. They could have picked anywhere, but no. They realized that Victoria was a, a very pleasant place, a benign place in terms of climate. There was good timber and all the other things they needed. Plus, it was close to the Pacific Ocean, which was a big benefit. And that's one of the reasons why Victoria prospered so much, because of our location. And today, I think most people come here because of the climate. And the fact that it's, well, we all know it, um, the pace of life is a lot slower. And for some, that's not so good, but I think for most of us, we enjoy that.
1: Well, this brings up uh, uh, the part of conversation which comes up regularly on this show, and that is, why is Victoria real estate so expensive? And as I always say, it's for these reasons that you just mentioned, which, uh, you know, um, sure, markets change, whether it's stock markets or real estate uh, or whatnot. But what doesn't change is the uh, natural appeal, the surroundings of a city, the weather, right? Right. Uh, people wonder about why Vancouver is so expensive uh same story you know are you going to choose living in Vancouver or are you going to choose living in i always use Winnipeg winnipeg's my my go to right? Winnipeg. yeah um but there's a reason why there is a cost differential you're paying more uh to be in a place that uh, perhaps has more opportunity uh, but also uh provides a greater greater beauty as well too uh john let 's talk about some of victoria's deep dark secrets uh yeah. Well, I am a historian, and a lot of the
0: tours that we do, the Discover the Past tours, are history tours. Yeah. We focus on the downtown area, uh, virtually every neighborhood through the year. Uh, we do tours all year, um, whether it's James Bay or Fairfield or Rockland, the Uplands, Oak Bay, Vic West. We're all over the place giving, mm-hmm. giving tours. Um, and we, we look for information that is, is interesting to people. Um, history, of course, is, is what we, we do in the daytime. But at night, when it gets dark, uh, <laughs> we can't help but tell a couple of ghost stories as well. And, and to be honest, although our, our history tours are really good yep. and people enjoy them, we get far more people on the ghostly walks. Yes, People like to hear that sort of thing, whether they believe in ghosts or not. And we understand that some people don't, but everybody likes a good story. And so um, we we have to admit that we say Victoria is the most haunted city in the Pacific Northwest. Okay. Not necessarily Canada, but certainly in this area. Yeah. For lots of reasons, we've collected hundreds of stories, and that's probably the biggest proof that we have lots of stories here. Um, some of them are pleasant ghosts. Some of them are nasty ghosts. Um, of course, people tend to prefer the, the nasty stories.
1: Yeah, well, and, and I have been on one of your walks where you you bring us into some of the buildings. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And actually, I don't want to get too deep in that uh, today because we could go a lot with the uh, ghost, Ghostly Tour. We're going to get you back uh, around the Halloween time to talk about uh, all that. Um, it, it's uh, it's a lot of fun for anyone who's interested. Your walking tours, by the way, uh, how how big um, are groups that you generally um, have on tour? Uh, they really vary. We, we don't take reservations. Uh, most of the people who take our tours are walkers cups,
0: yeah. although there is an online booking system, but most people just buy their tickets at the start of the tour, so we can never predict. Yeah. And at the busy times, we always have two or even three guides on hand. Yeah. If a group gets big, if, it, if a group gets to be more than 20, we we like to split it in, in, in different parts. And
1: for the listeners here, I have to say, I haven't haven't been on one before. You've got the technology as well, too, because you've got the pack with your, um, uh, you've got your headset with a speaker as well. So uh, it's great. Even though you're walking around uh, outdoors, um, you make sure that your uh, guests can hear uh, the great stories that you're telling. We've learned that from experience. And so on our ghostly walks at night,
0: yes, we the, the, gu- the guides all have a small amplifier. Yeah. And so everybody can hear. On our history tours in the daytime, we have now switched to a different system where um, each person has his or her own earphone. Wow. And uh, we broadcast, and so we can actually talk in almost like
1: a whisper, yeah. and
0: people can still hear us absolutely clearly.
1: You've been running the tours for years. We started them in the year 2000. Yeah, yeah, good good for you, good for you. But Before we forget, if people are interested in your tours, how can they uh, locate you? The easiest way to find out about us is
0: website, yeah. discoverthepast.com. Uh, we also have a phone number with lots of information, 250 250- Three eight four six six nine eight, and of course we're on Twitter and Facebook. But discoverthepast.com or or two five zero three eight four six six nine eight will give most people the information they're looking for.
1: Great, that's John Adams from Discover the Past. You're passionate about Victoria, I know that, and I I always get that sense whenever I see you. Uh, have you ever thought about uh, other like comparing Victoria to other towns? I mean, it, it seems like um, Victoria has a rich history compared to other places. Well, it does, and uh, when I travel, I
0: love to take walking tours and, and see the history of those places. They're all very, very different, and sometimes I think, wow, that, that's, a, that's a wonderful city for history. But when I come back here, I realize yeah, we've, we've got everything that a historian is interested in. Um, we, we don't really need to go to other places unless we're looking for that ancient stuff like ancient Egypt or something uh, yeah. else. We, we can go to the Royal BC Museum this summer, and that's we, right. we, can, we can find out all about Egypt
1: there. Yeah, but when it comes to Victoria, you are, you are the person. Now, Victoria has been full of colorful characters as well, too. Uh, Could you maybe, um, can we talk just for a moment about some of Victoria's infamous or famous people? Yeah, people like to hear about them.
0: Uh, John Butts comes to mind very quickly. Uh, There was a play about him last year down in Bastion Square. Um, He had come from Australia. Where he'd come from before that, we don't know. But um, he was a bit of a rogue. He spent a lot of time in jail on the chain gang. (laughs) Uh, People would see him out on the city streets uh, crushing stones. And he didn't like that very much. Um, it's said that he decided to make a bit of honest money once, and, well, it wasn't all that honest. He would clean the streets, and with a cart and a, a horse and a shovel, he would go around and clean up all the muck on Yates Street, and then secretly, at night, dump it on Johnson Street. <laughs> okay. And, of course, the merchants on the streets would pay him to do that. They found out, and they fired him. He was the town crier once. He would ring a bell and yeah. announce the news, and at the end of each announcement, he was to say, God save the Queen. But then people heard him say, God save John Butts. Uh, (laughs) So he got fired from that too. And then finally he decided on another sojourn in the jail that he just wasn't going to work at all. So he pretended that he was paralyzed from the waist down. And the doctors believed him. They stuck pins in his feet and oh my he, he didn't flinch. Yeah. And then one day somebody noticed that he was moving very slightly. In fact, people were sorry for him, so they carried him out, put him on a couch on the sun in front of the jail. Down in Bastion Square, people brought him cakes and cigars and bottles of brandy. He was having a great time until they discovered that he could actually move. They dumped a bucket of water on his head yeah. and he jumped up and ran away. Yeah. That proved that he was malingering. Oh my he was one of the colorful ones back yes. in the early 1860s. They finally put him on a boat and sent him back to Australia. Yeah,
1: And sorry, you said there was
0: a play or something about him? There was a play last year put on by uh, the theater department at the University of Victoria. Yeah, And a uh, very interesting play, uh, just focusing on one aspect of his, of his rather uh, nefarious career. Yeah, uh, He was perhaps one of the lesser known people, but um, very famous. Another character, Amor de Cosmos.
1: Of course. there And there's a building with his name on it on uh, Yates
0: Street. That's right. Yeah. It's, a, it's a residential building. And um, he founded the Colonist newspaper. What was his real name? His name was William Smith. That's Bill right. Bill Smith. Yeah. And he was born in Nova Scotia, um, went to California. Apparently his mail was getting mixed up with all the other Bill Smiths in the goldfields. And so he decided to change his name to yes. Amor de Cosmos, yeah. which he said meant lover of the universe. And so when he came here in the spring of 1858, he decided that everybody should call him Amor de Cosmos. And he founded the colonist a couple of months later, December 1858. Um, he hated James Douglas. James Douglas could do nothing good in Amor de Cosmos's eye. And eventually, de Cosmos decided to run for politics. Um, he did yeah. in colonial days, and in the end, after we joined Canada, he was a member of the Parliament, member of Parliament for Victoria, and he became our second premier in the wow. early 1870s. Yeah. A very colorful character, he was among other things uh, prone to drink, and <laughs> um, he would sometimes come upon an opponent, a political opponent, on the old James Bay Bridge in front of where the Empress Hotel is now, yeah. and uh, and pummel the poor person with his umbrella. My goodness. And many times. How, how things uh, have combatants changed. combatants were pulled apart.
1: How things have changed. John, thank you very much for coming and being our guest today again. If people need to reach you, how can they do that?
0: Okay, it's my pleasure to be here, Tony. Uh, people can call me at 250-384-6698
1: or check the website www.discoverthepast.com. John, always appreciate talking with you, and I I very much appreciate the fact that you are a fantastic resource for whenever we need information historically about Victoria. You really are the person to chat with, so thanks again for coming. It's my pleasure. And for our listeners, thank you for joining us today. Uh, I'm Tony Joe, and I'll be here for you again this time next week.